The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Officially Unofficial, presented by Blue Wire Podcast. I'm your host, the former face of junior college baseball, the fall American Johnny Junta. And we are joined by a special guest, the man that got his first big league win last week. Is that good? You tell me. It is Zach Jackson. How are we doing, Zach? Hey, doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. I'll be honest with you, man. You're the one that got away from me. I'm a big Toronto Blue Jays fan. So um, seeing you kind of hurt, seeing you have success in the big leagues, I'm obviously fired up for you. But the Blue Jays fan in me is like, he should be doing that here. So let's start it off with the Toronto Blue Jays, man. So you get drafted by the Jays in that organization for a pretty good amount of time. Were you there when the Jays got that new facility, the brand new one? No. So that would have been, it was being built during, I guess, COVID year. So we get down there, we can see kind of like the new uh, features of it being built. Um, We knew definitely next spring. Uh, it was going to be done and uh, between COVID year and I guess it would have been that 2021 year is when everybody finally got in there. So that was one part that, uh, you know, that was definitely uh, kind of sucked about moving over to Oakland was uh, you never got to see the new facility because I heard uh, heard it was everything it was supposed to be. It was I mean, that facility looked absolutely bananas. I think um, I think, yeah, you're right. I think it just like this year they kind of started showing and stuff like that. But before we go into all your playing career and stuff like that, I got to discuss the throwing motion you have. I mentioned it in our hype video. When did this happen? Like, is this something that you've just had forever? Or was it something that a coach brought up to you to hide the baseball or just kind of throw hitters off? Like, when did this start? Yeah, this has been, I honestly would probably need to go back and watch like high school video to see how dramatic I was doing it. Um, Honestly, I'm wound pretty tight. Uh, I ended up having hip surgery last year, um, but I have tight hips, tight hammies. I think it's like my body's way of compensating for me not being very mobile. And I think that once I kind of discovered that the hitters have a hard time seeing it, I just kind of ran with it. Um, So, yeah, from the time that I can remember, I mean, I didn't really realize I threw like that until you kind of get to college, start watching video. And like I said, I really haven't felt the need to change it. Do hitters... Have you had a so far? Because listen, I was watching the game last week you guys had against the Angels. I think I, I don't, I, you guys won that game and you came in to pitch. And I didn't realize it was you for a second. And I was like, what the fuck is this dude doing on the mound? I was like, if I'm a hitter, I am swinging a sword at the plate. So has hitters, like your own hitters, like that you, when you guys did live or just stuff in spring training, have hitters come up to you and say, it is literally impossible to see a baseball off you because you throw absolute fuzz. So it's just a mix of whole, all these nightmares coming together. Yeah. I mean, uh, they've definitely said that, you know, it, it adds to my benefit to be able to sit there and, you know, just kind of throw the glove in the air. Uh, but like I said, it's not like I'm trying to do any of it. If you were to like <laughs> ask me how I look like throwing, I mean, I feel like that I'm, you know, gloves kind of tucked in. Like, I don't really feel like that I'm doing anything, uh, anything wild, but uh, yeah, I've definitely had uh, a lot of um, feedback from the hitters, you know, over the years saying that that is definitely something I need to hold on to. Um, definitely helps get into the big leagues. Adrenaline helps velocity a little bit. Um, so I think it just kind of all runs together once I got up here. And we're going to go all over the place this interview because I wanted to bring this up because obviously I live only an hour from Buffalo. I was actually golfing with a couple of your ex-teammates yesterday. I was with uh, Logan Warmoth 
Oh, okay. Um, yeah. What's it? Uh, who else? It was or Derek Holland's on next team of years, but he was there as well. So, um, you had a nine and zero record in Buffalo two years ago. I mean, do you do you look at that and be like, that is might be might go down as one of my craziest stats of my career because nine and zero as a reliever, like not even coming in a game and like getting like a run, like in a tie game and just giving up a run to then you guys lose. Is that one of the craziest stats you have? Because nine and zero as a reliever is bananas. Like that just doesn't happen. Yeah, I remember the craziest part of it is I only probably had about a two and a half, three month, like really good stretch there. Like I really, I started and ended my season there incredibly bad. So to think that like I was never in a situation where I was going to blow the lead at some point, uh, you know, the way it started and ended is nuts. But yeah, I didn't know, uh, obviously as a reliever, a, a win-loss record is really not a stat line. You're checking a whole lot. So uh, I remember having like an interview or something at some point late summer and they were saying that oh yeah you know you have nine wins as a reliever and kind of getting feedback and I had to go check and I was like I'm gonna be honest I had absolutely no idea that you know <laughs> that way but yeah I wasn't complaining another crazy stat is from last year I mean you get thrown into double a Midland Texas I'm assuming that's where it is right Midland Texas yeah and uh you have a 0.55 ERA and they're like all right we've seen enough of this shit immediately up to triple a so when you were in double a last year because you played triple a the year before What's the biggest difference you noticed as a pitcher? Maybe like, was it obviously, I'm not saying it's, it was a little bit easier, but did you get away with more stuff when you went all the way, when you went back down to double A and then um, had obviously got called back up, but what was the biggest difference you noticed? Yeah, I, I think one thing was one, it was just exciting to get back playing after a whole year of not playing during COVID. It was like, obviously kind of suck going back to double A, but at the same time, it was just kind of nice to, you know, be playing again. It's been so long. And I think one aspect was just, you know, the adrenaline of being back playing again. I think there was a confidence level of I'd had success in doubling in the past. Um, kind of felt like that. I knew a lot of the hitters were younger, more young prospect type hitters. You can have a different approach against those guys. Um, beyond also that jump to, to triple A, I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but you have the international league and the PCL and the PCL is, I mean, it's about as hard as it is to pitch as anywhere. It's, you know, elevation everywhere is insane. You know, your ball doesn't spin like it usually does. Uh, definitely a big time hitters league. So the jump definitely from the Texas league, which I would say is a very favorable uh, pitchers double A league to the most favorable uh, hitters triple A league. So it was a huge jump there. But, uh, but yeah, it was definitely nice getting back to double A and getting to have some success and going back from there. So you've played in some, I mean, you've played in some electric cities. I'm just speaking in uh, in favor of like the Toronto Blue Jays minor league system. So you played in one of the most underrated cities, in my opinion, in minor league baseball. You played in Vancouver. I mean, that city, the whole province of uh, British Columbia is one of the most, it's just beautiful. What was your time like there? Because obviously you're from Oklahoma. So you probably, this isn't, this isn't a job. This isn't a chirp at you. It might be. You had no idea what BC was, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely no idea. Uh, I remember, well, I, let me start here. I, so I had to stay in the, in the GCL down in Florida and this isn't a knock on Florida or anything, but when you're stuck down there, you're waking up at 6am every day to get to the field, you know, a bunch of young guys are really excited to be there and you just don't really have the same enthusiasm. You're but, but I get out. I mean, I remember my first trip was up to Boise, Idaho and, Oh I wouldn't God. exactly call it, and it literally felt like the best place on earth. So by the time I went from Boise back to Vancouver, Vancouver definitely felt like, I mean, it was insane. And, you know, the, the city itself is, I mean, it's about as good as it's going to get, um, you know, as far as a scenic type. And obviously, you know, you have host families that are able to show you around the city, kind of show you like, you know, some of the cooler spots and what it has to offer. But honestly, the fans there too, it's, it's one of the best like fan minor league environments you're going to see just because I mean, the, the the place probably sits, I don't know what the exact number is. I would guess around 6,000 and they sell out every single game. I mean, I remember wow. last game season, we, uh, we had like a two hour rain delay. And as a player, when you have a two hour rain delay, we're like, all right, just bang the game. Like, let's get out of here. Let's go home. And they ended up playing out the game and there were 6,000 people waiting after a two hour rain delay. So, I mean, that, on top of the city, how cool it was. The fans were insane. Was that your first experience meeting Canadians playing in Vancouver? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would say <laughs> it did something, but yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta think 
was first time. What what was your first experience with Canadians? Like, what is the biggest difference from us compared to like uh, Americans? Like, what is it like the accents? There's not really much of an accent in Vancouver. I, a lot of people say I have an accent, and that's one of the first things Derek Holland said to me yesterday. He's like, "You're Canadian, right?" He's like, "I can just tell just from your accent." So, it, what was the biggest thing you noticed in BC? So. This was a thing, as you mentioned, being from Oklahoma, uh, I remember the uh, the different trash cans. You throw stuff away. And, like, obviously Canada being very eco-friendly and cognizant <laughs> of, like, you know, what they're doing with their trash. And so I'm from Oklahoma, so it was just kind of like you throw away your stuff when you're done. So you're playing the dishwasher. I remember that was one of the things I really had to adjust to was, like, learning how to, like, divide it into, like, compost and, uh, and recycling and all this stuff. So that was – that was a big thing. Um, honestly, other than that, it wasn't a whole lot different. I mean, th- that was probably the one thing that I remember getting there. And I was like, it, every time I like had some type of trash, like having to like think through my head, like, all right, where is this go? But uh, the Toronto side, I got to go up there for, for Winterfest. That side, yeah. a lot more north. The more accents there. I didn't notice the accents in Vancouver, really. Toronto, even my buddies I have from there, like Jordan Romano, um, you could tell Humble he kind of – that's yeah. my favorite pitcher in baseball. Whatever, Jordan Romano. So that's your. He has an accent. Eh? It's crazy. His is pretty bad. Uh, you could yeah. tell his. Yeah. Well, what's funny too is is Romano. We, he's always had this this uh, fantasy about one day moving back to Oklahoma. If you ever get him in an interview, you need to ask him about it because I've been he, trying. What, yeah, he's probably a tough guy to get a hold of, but he uh, <laughs> he went to Oklahoma for college and he just absolutely loved it, which I thought was hilarious being from Toronto. But uh, we've always had that in common. Yeah, he. I think he went to junior college there. I think he's a junior college guy, correct? So he went, yeah, he went to Connor State there, which is kind of in a nowhere town, Oklahoma. And then he went to transfer to ORU after, which is in Tulsa, actually the city where I'm from. Um, and that's a, just a four-year D1 and got drafted out of there as a senior. So he, I think he's, I think he's been a full four years there. Yeah, no, he's uh... – He's a freak. I mean, he's, in my opinion, one of the best. He's the best closer in baseball. Him or the guy we had on last week. I'm being biased. David Bednar, friend of the podcast. I think we had him on uh, last week. I think I think he, him or Jordan Romano, like, they're up there for best yeah. closers in baseball. But – and you mentioned, obviously, living in Vancouver and stuff like that. Being a pro baseball player, obviously, this is an off-the-field podcast. So, how much of a difference was it to be able to see, like, your teammates that are 19 years old legally allowed to have, like, a beer? at dinner or just be able to booze at the bar and stuff like that because i think it's the greatest thing of all time i think i i was gonna make a rule if you're an athlete you should be exempt to be able to drink whenever you want above the age of 18 i think 18 should be the threshold for if you're an athlete just with the shit that you guys go through so what how weird was that so it, it was really bizarre because we still had like organizational rules so say you get to like double a triple a uh obviously the big leagues it's just kind of like the the rules uh, are a little more lax as far as like you know you want to have a beer after the game nobody really cares when she gets those upper levels but obviously the the younger levels it's still treated almost like college where it's like hey none of that around the coaches none around that around here so it was almost you know you still had that aspect of like around anybody team personnel you didn't want to be doing that same time obviously like Canada anytime you know you you went out and um you know, got to see the town. Yeah, it was definitely nice because I was just 21 at the time, so I was good to go. But we definitely had some guys come out that, that weren't 21 yet, so it was nice to have uh, the ability for them to come out with us and, and not be able to to worry about it. I, I'm amazed by that because, obviously, I just love the off-the-field stuff. And then we're going to we're gonna jump up to a place that turned me into a man where I believe I had my first beer. It was in Lansing, Michigan. I used a fake ID. I was 18. I got, I, I was there for a baseball tournament. I got, uh, there's, this story's been told. I mean, it, I got blackout. Don't even remember the game. It was dollar beer night. So do you remember that night at the game when they used to have like dollar beers? Yeah, it was good. This, this Lansing team you were, you played on might've been the greatest minor league team ever assembled, right? We could, I mean, obviously your record was 53 and 70. You guys struggled, but Boba Shed and Vladdy were there. And we have heard millions of stories on this podcast about shit that they did in Lansing. What was your experience like seeing them up front when they were at the young, when they were very young, just trying to grind through the minor leagues in Lansing? So first off, that's like my claim to fame is like you take Bo, Vladdy, Cabin, obviously the big three uh, names coming up with, you know, who their dads were. And I had the most minor league time, I think, with all three of them. Um, wow. It was kind of, yeah. So back before Lansing, I get drafted. Um 
Vladdy was in Bluefield my first year. Uh, Bo was in the GCL. So I'm in the GCL for like a month watching him. And obviously the swing was just, I mean, it was still similar to what it is. Probably a little more, but so much movement. And you don't know anybody. So you're like, all right, he's a high school guy. Like, you know, he's seen a lot of fastballs down in this league. He was crushing. He's hitting like 370. So it's like, <laughs> let's hold off. Wait till they get a ball until everybody makes an assumption about him. Anyway, so I go off to uh, Vancouver. Don't see him for the rest of the year. Um, obviously knew who Vladdy was, but keeping up with their numbers. I think Bo ended up having an injury or something, but I'm like, all right, I'd be sick to play with them. So we all break with Lansing the next year. And I remember Vladdy finally started losing kind of like the baby fat that he had. I remember seeing him before he went to Bluefield. You could tell he just hadn't really developed. He looked so young. And, and definitely if you look back at pictures of him in Lansing, it was like he finally lost that baby fat that he had, and you had just never seen so much bat speed. I mean, naturally being able to read pitches, but, I mean, it was so fun to watch both of them go back-to-back. Back. I think Bo probably had the hitting title that year, honestly. And I know when we both got up to Dunedin as well, um, I mean, just same thing. The middle of the lineup, no matter what level they were going to be at, but um, I'm trying to think of a specific incident, but, I mean, it was, it was really fun watching them. Are you kidding me? Bo Bichette hit 385 that year. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to throw out like a 400, but I, I knew for a fact. Well, I was there for the first two months, and I remember he was hitting close to 400 when I left. And <laughs> I was, yeah, like the kid can play. Uh, but, no, it, it was so fun to watch him, and especially, you know, Vladdy as well. We also put together like high double A and – if you think that team was good, if you go look at our 2018 Fisher Cat team uh, in New Hampshire in the Eastern League, well, I'll, like, talk to guys who have played us in. They were like, that was undoubtedly the best double-A lineup that we've ever seen. I mean. Oh, my God. Yeah. Obachet, Calvin Biggio, Jonathan Davis, Espinal, Guerrero, Grichik, Guriel, Palacios. Oh, my God. Yeah, that team was – we ended up winning it all that year. I think Vladdy was about the only one who moved out. Um, everybody else had kind of kept there all year. But Romano was still a starter at the time for us. We had TJ Zoik. Uh, front of the pod. Was front of nails the pod. there. Okay. Um, yeah, we had Travis Bergen who threw to like a .3 or a .4 that year uh, as our closer. So it was – I mean, it, it was definitely a fun team. I mean, I'm just going to repeat that for the listeners who might have not caught that. So this lineup had the Jays starting first baseman, the Jays starting second baseman. Right now, the Jays starting shortstop, Randall Grichik, who's an outfielder in the show, the Jays starting outfielder right now in Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And then obviously a prospect that was just picked up was Josh Palacios, but he was over there too. So that team was a literal big league team. Like, were you guys going into games and just absolutely dog walking opponents like, like 10 to four. So especially early on in the year, because of how good our starting staff was, because you look at like Sean Reed Foley was there was unbelievable. Um, he was one of our starters, but that was the thing about the, the lineup oh was my great. God, he was five and zero with a two ERA. Yeah, so it was like but him and Zoik bouncing back to back, and I'm drawing blanks on on who else was starting at the time. But um, like I said, it wasn't only that like we knew we were going to score ten runs every game. It was like we weren't going to give up much either. So it was like, I mean, an absolute complete team. Um, so yeah, it was a uh, it was a fun year. Dude, I mean, looking back at that team, like I, I guarantee you, there are some old folks in New Hampshire telling stories to their grandkids about this team, like. <laughs> Was this team sold at like were the games just sold out every game? Because obviously the hype, the hype around Bo and Vladdy and Cavan and all these guys, right? It must have just been absurd. So it's hard for me to tell. I was only in, in in New Hampshire for a year, so it's hard for me to tell what an exact normal New Hampshire crowd was. Um, but you know, maybe it was more than normal. I know that. I mean, we definitely had a lot of hype around the team. Uh, that was the best I've ever seen. Vladdy in the minors his his first two months there I don't even know if you're able oh to my god up. he he hit 400 yeah his first two months there was the best performance I've ever seen from a hitter I mean it was he was he was getting thrown out more at second from like peppering balls off the wall and 
wasn't the fastest, but he was trying to stretch it out to a double. And I saw him get hosed more at second than I think I saw him strike out in that league. I, I, I mean, I'm obligated to like, cause obviously I do another, I do a Jays podcast that's growing okay. like pretty rapidly. And I have to do a TikTok about this line. I didn't even realize this was an actual minor league lineup at one point. That is absurd. And yeah. you also had a, a John Birdie. Where's John Bird? I, I might be dumb for asking this, but where is he now? Is he and, in the Marlins? So he, I, I want to say that he maybe has been banged up a little bit. But yeah, been with the Marlins uh, since. He made up with the Jays. I want to say maybe got DFA'd post that year. And then Marlins picked him up. And he's he's been in their lineup ever since. Um Birdie, great dude, though. Really good leadoff guy to have. I mean, just a dog. And and we're talking about, obviously, the minors and stuff like that. And I love the off-field stuff. Kevin Smith actually told a funny story about Lansing where – by the way, does my mic sound good? Like, am I cutting or anything? Like, is this clear? Yeah. Okay. So, Mike – so, Kevin Smith told a funny story on the podcast where there was sorority night. Was it like that when you guys were there where there was sorority night? So, I'm trying to think. Like I said, I was only there for the first – two months i don't know maybe school wasn't there wasn't in yet i'm assuming that might have been to the end i definitely caught him on the tail end so like we would head over to east lansing or anything to go out like it would be like uh um more like end of year stuff like i don't know about like sorority nights or anything uh gosh but yeah i don't know i I need to ask kev what time of the year he was there because maybe it was like a school starting back up and and that whole thing lansing was fun he told yeah, because he told a funny story where it was sorority night and like guys on the team would just be throwing up balls with their like insta or their numbers on it to the sorority girls in the crowd. It's just I love these those type of stories, dude. It's just absolutely electric. And you play, like I said, you played with Bo coming up. So you got to see the evolution of Bo Bichette. What was it like? Like I always I said this with a Tyler Glass now. Did you notice a spike in the female attendance when Boba Shett would be playing an opposing minor league stadium? Because in the, at the Jays games, I swear to God, I'm not even lying. I go to a lot of Jays games. Every single female at a Jays game is wearing a Boba Shett jersey. And that's it. That's the only jersey they own. So it's so funny just because, like, we would always tease Bo about it. Because, I mean, Bo knows. Bo knows. He's got the <laughs> good-looking kid. So it was funny. We'd always tease him about it, just about how, you know, much attention he's going to get, you know, once he got to Toronto. So I, I cannot even fathom, you know, what his Instagram looks like, what, you know, him trying to go anywhere in Toronto by himself looks like. But uh, it is funny because basically since, since the time we, you know, got drafted together, it's been like a topic of conversation was just like how he was a good looking dude. He had the hair that everybody loved and, that that was just going to be, I mean, everything girls wanted once he got to Toronto. It's there. So I don't know if you're a big hockey guy, but it's him and Austin Matthews in Toronto. Like the two guys where I can't even imagine it. it I don't know if it sucks and maybe you can kind of talk about that, but when you're such a big name, like you, and you obviously you play, you've played with a couple guys like that. How hard is it? Do you think to live like a normal lifestyle in like a massive city like Toronto where you're Boba Shet? Cause everywhere you go, you're so noticeable because of your hair and like obviously how good looking he is. So it just he must just never leave the house, right? I mean, that just has to be the only option. Yeah, I mean, I I can't imagine obviously being a being in a bigger city, I can't imagine the way that works and having a recognizable look like Bo. Like if you're, you know, someone who's just a normal looking dude, I mean, nothing going to you, then maybe you can get away with it. But Bo, he's got the hair, like you know, he's got good style and everything. So it's like, I'm sure the minute he gets out in public, he's recognized. So I cannot fathom that it's probably a whole lot of fun going out to dinner in, uh, in actual Toronto. It's, it's, it's tough. I mean, dude, and you've played with, I mean, you got the opportunity to play with a ton of guys on the Jays right now. I mean, you got some time with Teoscar Hernandez, right? I mean, he was doing a little bit of rehab in AAA when you were there. Um, Logan Warmoth said yesterday during our round, he said that Teoscar, the way that he approaches every single game is what makes him so good. Is there a pitcher that you've played with so far in your career that approaches every single game, even if he's not starting, that just you kind of notice and look upon as like, all right, this guy's like a freak. This guy's just a little bit different than what I see from other dudes. So I will say this. Coming up, TJ Zoik was a very 
you look at like guys who have a very big league approach to like their routines. Um, I think it was something early on with him that it was very noticeable that like, as far as routine oriented, you, you look at a lot of guys, especially when you start getting the dog days in the summer, we're just kind of like, all right, like I'm going to get through this bullpen. I'm going to do anything. As far as guys who really stuck that all year were very, very routine oriented, kind of knew the approach they had. He's probably the best and most mature I'd seen coming up. Um, you know, very, very same schedule every week, was going to get those workouts in, um, you know, and incredibly disciplined. He's he's probably the one guy, if I could sit here and think about it for a bit, I could probably come up with another name. But I know he's, he's probably the first one that comes to mind. And we're talking about good-looking dudes, by the way, and I got to bring this dude up. A guy that you played with in college who is an absolute fucking man rocket, just an, an incredible-looking dude, Andrew Benintendi. Benintendi, sorry. What was this dude like in college? Did you guys have to fucking have security when you go to the bar because there'd be females all over him in Arkansas? Like, what was the deal with Andrew and Andrew Benintendi here? Man, so Benny's a good dude, man. He's, he's one of my good buddies. Um, it was... It was kind of funny. So we came in together, same draft class, and he was a sophomore eligible draft guy. Um, and first year, he was good, wasn't near what he was the second year. We we all knew what he had, came in as like high school player of the year or something. Like we knew like how talented he was, saw him in the fall. It was just kind of like he hit a slump, couldn't get out of it, um, kind of just wrote out a year. Well, comes back the next year, and I just, I mean, never really slumped. And so he got hot and tricked. <laughs> going but not really uh a big time go out guy he's more like sit around in the apartment with the boys play fifa like um you know he he's not the guy that you had to worry about like you know going to the going to the bars a whole lot just because he hated attention you look at him now and i mean even now he's not a guy who ever like seeks out like media attention or anything he just wants to go play baseball and take it to the crib. Like, it's just, that's who he's always been. He, he was never a guy who liked everybody looking at him, you know, as far as like getting that approval for everybody. And we got to initiate an Andrew Benintendi official and official collab because I was supposed to golf with him in Nashville because he's, uh, I, I believe he trains there in the off season. I'm like, I, I'm good buddies with Jake Berger. So I was supposed to golf with Jake Berger and him. And I just completely, I don't know if it was the COVID restrictions. I believe they actually cl closed the border down again or something like that. But that got kind of pushed through the mud. So we're going to start the narrative that Andrew Benintendi is ducking the officially unofficial podcast. That's what we're going to start with our listeners. And we're just going to say, I mean, I, I don't know if I would be able to get in contact with him, but I'm just going to, we're going to, that's how I'm going to start it off. So why were you ducking this podcast? And maybe, I mean, maybe you can kind of help the narrative as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely reach out to him, let him know that that's, that's the rumor that's going on. He's got to say about it. <laughs> and Arkansas, man, I mean, listen, I, I will say this. I am more of a college football guy than I am a baseball guy in general. Like, I live and die for college football. I, I know it's weird saying that guy who hosts a baseball podcast. But listen, college football is king. You go to Arkansas. I mean, you were there during the years when they were kind of struggling, I believe, correct? Yeah. So – what is SC? Because you're you're an Oklahoma guy, so you got to watch Oklahoma games like Boomer Sooner, all that type of stuff. Big Twelve. What makes the SEC so different in the fan experience wise of for football? So yeah, let me let me just also say like football and baseball are neck and neck for me. Like I grew up playing, like I played football all the way through high school. Like if I would have been better at football, it would have been probably a really hard decision for me which one to to do in the future. Um, so I, I live and breathe in the off season too. Um, so I grew up an OU fan. Um, obviously, just growing up there, going to games every year. Um, obviously, not hard to become an OU fan when you're from Oklahoma when they're you know winning like they are every year. The thing about the SEC is, I would say the biggest difference is probably the tailgating. The tailgating pregame is something that so we would tailgate OU games growing up. But it wasn't the same. It was like the – it was like an the, – the tailgating party was like an event in itself outside of the game at SEC games. Like, you look at the Grove and Ole Miss. Definitely you look at Arkansas. And it's just like – like I said, it's, it, there's something to that. Once you get in the game, though, it's just like – it's almost like you think of yourself 
as a higher conference than everybody else. I know that like anybody who plays with <laughs> you guys, they absolutely hate us because we never let them, you know, the whole SEC, it just means more. Like we always remind people. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it is one thing where there is kind of an arrogance around the conference. And uh, I mean, that was the reason I went to Arkansas from Oklahoma. Is, I mean, even though it was baseball, it was like, if you want to, say you played against the best you go to the sec and you see how your stuff holds up and i know obviously uh baseball that held up for me and um you know definitely the same for football so yeah it's just like i said it's a different vibe it just feels bigger i don't know how to describe it yeah no that's a great point i mean like i said i'm a university of michigan fan going to those games and going to those tailgates i look around and i'm like because obviously i are doing this podcast i deal with a ton of people that play in the sec and go to the tailgate stuff like that so i see it like i'm just like listen i'm at this michigan tail this is nothing nowhere even on the same stratosphere as what they're doing in the sec you guys start pre-drinking at like 5 a.m like that's some stories we've got on this podcast like you wake up and you just immediately have a beer so when you're at arkansas and stuff like that was your coaches lenient with when it was a college game day there or were you guys practicing until literally like 11 30 uh, it was almost like, it was almost like he knew. So we were going to have a list. <laughs> so it'd be, they would, they were going to let us like have the day to go to the game, enjoy the tailgates, everything. But it was more like, we don't want you carrying over just a bender from Friday <laughs> till Sunday morning. So like, it'd be, it was more of a thing where, uh, I think they did that to make sure that, you know, we weren't going nuts. Um, so we'd have a lift at like, say, I mean, when we were there, we were getting a lot of 11 o'clock games. So we'd have like an 8 o'clock lift, be like 45 minutes. Basically, just show up, show that you're not too hungover to show up, and then you head back and head to the game. But, um, yeah, like I said, it was it was more – my roommate was actually uh, – I don't know if you've ever been to a Wisconsin game. My roommate was from Wisconsin uh, when I was oh, there. and Those games are he wild. Actually, he was like, the tailgates are like nice here. It's like the collared shirts. Girls are in dresses. He was like there. It's like you know you're you're beer bonging at six in the morning. Like you're you're shout beer bonging. You're you know getting out of bed just ready to go. I had always wanted to go to a Wisconsin game to see what he was talking about because he had always said that like that was kind of another level of of tailgating. But yeah, the the prettiness and the all that is probably more the SEC because it is like the dress up as well. I guess that's probably the different aspects. That is the thing that I will say. And I obviously have a rule in this podcast. And I say this all the time is don't fuck with guys that wear cowboy boots. So there would have been a ton of those guys at the games and at the SEC. And what I noticed that like, and that's a great point that you mentioned when I go to games in like the North at like the Northeast, like Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio state, we just get after it. There is no one wearing these dresses the girls are wearing like a university of Michigan hoodie, maybe with jeans that like, that's the extent of it. And there's a little bit more like, how, how, like it, they're more dressed and like the more South you go at these games, like you see like women legit wearing full on tech university of Texas color dresses at big 12 games or like Arkansas color dresses to the football games. Right. So it's wild. Yeah. So that was like, I knew growing up, uh, Going to OU games, obviously you're kind of looking out to the sorority girls because you feel like you have like actually have a chance as like a 14, 15 year old. But it was it was it was probably a nice mix of like 50-50 there where you'd have the girls in jerseys or you'd have the girls that were like dressing up. And that always kind of like, oh, it's crazy. You you go to a, at least an Arkansas game, there's no girls in jerseys. Like that's not a thing. Like it's <laughs> I mean, if a girl in a jersey, it's now like these girls are, I mean dress as good as they can get i mean i i know that i mean obviously the tailgating scene is every pick is gonna be on instagram and everything so it's like these girls are i mean that's the weekly event for them is, is getting dressed up for these guys it's like you wear a, a collared shoe or collared shirt jeans and cowboy boots and so it's a little easier for us i guess but uh yeah it was definitely more of a dress up of it. we i want to start the narrative that we've been friends for a couple months because i was in philly for opening weekend for uh, Kevin Smith, obviously, and Bryson Stott's debut. And I remember specifically seeing you. You had like a drove of people on the field. You, you, like, you had tons of people at the, in Philly, right? Is that correct? Was that you? Yeah, I had, uh, I had my family, fiance, uh, buddy who's actually in the Navy out um, in the Norfolk area, like drove up. Uh, so I probably had like, gosh, like eight people there. Uh, it was, one of those things where it was, uh, we knew like a few days before, but at the same time, I was like, didn't want to jinx it or anything. So I couldn't really let too many people know. 
but yeah, it was it was definitely nice to have the family there, to have a good friend there. Uh, yeah, it was sick. And what, what, your agent didn't want to show up, my guy. What's up with that? Was he big so, time in you or what? He's he was down in Tampa. I saw him in Tampa. We had him the next series. Uh, <laughs> he went ahead and saw me down there. Uh, didn't uh, I'm sure that gosh. Agency, I'm sure they have probably 100 guys down there. So, uh, yeah, I knew if he could catch me in that second series, probably wouldn't have a big deal to miss the first one. Yeah, and obviously, so I believe you made your debut that weekend. Is that correct? Or was it after? Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. No, no, no. Yeah, that was my, that was my debut. So after, so you go into your debut, and obviously, like that stadium was pretty. I mean, it was pretty cold. When, like just to mention on top, that was an absolute nightmare to be sitting at that game watching. But what was it like for you to finally see all of your fruition, all of your hard work, all your tears, all that type of shit, man? You make your debut in Philadelphia for the Oakland Athletics. Obviously, not as we scripted. I was hoping it'd be for the Blue Jays. But nonetheless, what was that day like for you? Like when you stepped on the mound, did you do the Adley Rutschman and kind of look around and just be like, wow, I'm here? So <clears throat> I threw in the second game of the series. Uh, it was like a, I don't remember. The, I think it was like a two-run ball game. We're down. Um, kind of one of those, a good situation to come in and make a debut. But it was also, uh, you know, a situation where, uh, you know, we had, it was a two-run ball game. Like could have got back in it. But I would say it was nice doing the second game because opening day obviously you have like the ceremonies you have the flag on the field you have you know everything and the best crowd you're going to get um it was everything so that pregame was like all right this like doesn't feel real I can't feel my body like this is insane ended up so all that was insane but obviously I knew like I wasn't coming into probably the best case sixth or seventh inning um end up ninth inning comes around somebody gets in a jam or no I'm sorry it was the eighth somebody gets in a jam just need to get out of it so I get hot so I kind of get the first taste of like Philly fans ripping me like kind of you know getting used to that all over again getting hot getting those just kind of like jitters all over again and then he ends up getting out of it I don't throw that day so it kind of helped me get over that hump next day comes in and I don't know that Philly bullpen I don't know if you know um off the top of your head, but the way the visitor bullpen works out is it feels like, I mean, a hundred foot stairway coming down. And so you're coming in, obviously the crowd is great as it was. You're coming in straight from center field. So like the panoramic view is just insane of, you know, pretty much sold out stadium. Uh, Nobody there wanting you to do well. So it's like, it's a super cool, like, you know, challenge to have I guess I mean when you envision like a big league debut and kind of the pressure you want to feel like that was that was what I thought it would be so it it was and looking back at that like obviously the first time you get the opportunity to step out of the bullpen the doors open up and you just are running towards a mound and of a major league stadium like a stadium that fits 50,000 I don't know what it is at uh, Citizens Bank but describe that view to the people that obviously like me who will never be able to experience that what is that view like just running towards a mound with literally all eyes on you? Like people are looking, all right, who's coming out of the bullpen here? Yeah. Yeah. Especially, especially as a debut, you know, obviously you're like on the verge of blacking out that day anyway. Um, but it's, it's almost more of a, I don't know. If I do envision like what, like when you're in like, old Rome and you're in like the Coliseum as like a gladiator and you're like all these people 
it was like that that's the only way i can like think to describe i know obviously the stakes weren't as high but it's like it's something about it where it's like you you can't describe like when you have because obviously the way you see it is like it's like the entire world just looking down on you and it's just like everybody rooting against you and it's just like i know it sounds crazy but it's like a cool feeling it's like i get to see you know if i can you know come in here and you know give them a bad inning or you know see what i can do so like i said it's it's hard to i guess put into words but it's i mean it was everything i thought it'd be for a debut yeah it's just i mean especially uh, it's just a crazy thing like you don't obviously you don't realize it now but such a small percentage of the world if not less than one percent will experience what you've already experienced in a month like and even like just that one day as a big leaguer so where's that first strikeout ball you have that like is that in a mantle somewhere or were you one of those guys where it's like fuck the first strikeout uh yeah i can't say i'm as sentimental but uh like my parents are obviously big memorabilia people uh dad's always collected stuff even before i was playing so when they were up in philly like i got like the first pitch ball um got the uh first uh strikeout ball and um sent it back with them when they went to Philly and then even like the first win first say that I'll, I'll probably just send it all to my parents house like I said it doesn't mean quite as much to me who was the first strikeout do you remember uh Didi Gregorius so wow yeah wow dude nice Hell little yeah. back curveball dude that's that <laughs> yeah let it play are you like the Sean can we start the narrative that you're like the Sean McVay of pitchers where you remember every sequence of every at bat is that who you are <laughs> To this, to this point, yeah. I mean, it, like I said, you, you're cherishing every day up here. You know, when you have like a, a rookie year, it's like you just want to pitch well enough to not get options. So it's like, you know, you remember every at-bat you did against every – I mean, I can pretty much guarantee you have, you know, every hitter I've faced at this point that I can tell you what I've done against them just because, you know, it feels like the biggest at-bat in the world every time you're facing somebody. <laughs> That's so electric, man. I love that shit because obviously – what people don't realize when they're DMing people and all that type of shit, or when fans are going out of their way to roast people, um, they don't realize like, especially when you're a rookie, it's like a dog eat dog world, bro. Like in, in your mind, you could think if you have one outing in your mind, you could be like, all right, I'm done. I'm going back AAA now. Right. Like, is that, is that something that you've had to kind of eliminate from your brain? Like just try to stay in the moment of being a big leaguer. So I probably think of it. I like, and one of those people, I need to feel like as much pressure and anxiety and everything that I can going into every outing uh, to be the best that I can be. Like, I, I need it to feel like, hey, you don't pitch well. You're going back to AAA after this or else if I don't feel that it just it I don't feel like that I have that same like conviction behind my pitches. And, you know, so I probably think of it that way. I know that most people don't that are you know so you're a psychopath you're a psychopath uh, you're a literal in, psychopath in that sense is probably not the most conventional way to about it but yeah it's uh I, I need to feel the pressure but I, I i do truly believe it i mean like i said a week's worth of bad outings up here and you know there there are people waiting in the wings and in triple a you know I, I don't think people outside of you know the immediate baseball world realize how talented like upper level minor minor leaguers are like how you know it's it's not like there is this like big separation that you know a lot of guys down there are really close to being here so it's like they're they're waiting to take your job and you know you have to hold on to it and and obviously when i say you're being a, like you're a psychopath that's a good thing to have on the mound like you like Dave, david bednar last week was legitimately saying like i i consider myself like apparently because i know his bullpen catcher of the pirates and when he's warm from the bullpen, like he is full on throwing medicine balls at walls, like calling himself a fuck, like just a full on crazy person. So what do you do in the bullpen that kind of gets your your head into the into the game and stuff like that? So I'm like, I'm not like the guy you look in the bullpen. You're like, oh, that guy looks like a killer. Like I get crazy nervous. So I'm like the guy down there who's like, you're going to see me. I, I kind of know the situations that I'm throwing right now. So I get the hint that like my situation is like, okay, this is some somewhere where I'm about to throw. I get real twitchy down there. Like even the guys down there have like <clears throat> kind of acknowledged like, okay, like, you know, you, you've got to learn to like chill out down here. Like it's not like, <laughs> but it's like, I get down there and it's like, where we got room to stretch out. It's like, I'm stretching, I'm getting my, you know, 
weighted ball just kind of stretch my shoulder a little bit I'm trying to loosen up the legs so it's like the minute I realized that like I might be throwing here the next couple innings like I'm I'm done sitting like that's over with like it's time to roll so uh see so yeah, I can't say I'm the same as him but definitely still that uh you kind of got to get yourself in the end of that moment however you do it well we're talking about psychopaths and like I said like you said actually one of your good buddies Jordan Romano is a legit crazy person on them like I mean I don't know what he says to himself in the bullpen or if he's just degrading himself, but was that something he always did or was that something he started to do when he got implemented into being a closer, like, or just worked on as like a bullpen guy? So, yeah. So me and Romano played together, uh, high double A triple A. He was a starter his first two years and, it was kind of funny with him because he almost had a different personality based on what the days he was pitching and he would pitch well with different personalities. So I don't know if it was one of those things where it was like, like it was how his arm felt or I never really knew, but it was definitely <clears throat> the transition to the bullpen. He, you could tell he started to figure some stuff out. So you saw his confidence kind of like, you know, and obviously as a, as a reliever, that's everything is, you know, how you're approaching you know, the, the outing with how much confidence you have. And you could tell that, like, if he could simplify something into one inning worth of work, then it was so much easier for him. And I remember that off season, he really worked on, like, I don't want to speak too much on it because I don't want to get it wrong, but really worked on, like, just mental stuff, getting himself, I don't know if it was locked in or, uh, you know, maybe stuff he says to himself to set up a trigger. But I know that it was he really, you know, was doing stuff internally to, like, you know, it wasn't as if he just kind of like changed into this person. Like he, he consciously worked on, uh, you know, trying to have that mentality or whatever it is now that he has. Um, I've, I've never really picked his brain too much about it because I knew that it was working. So, uh, so yeah, it was definitely something that he figured out um, prior to moving to the bullpen. And let's go into a couple things that I have recommended for you being a bullpen guy that just going to obviously listen me and me and your agent are working in together to increase the social engagement of zach jackson i say you start becoming a smelling salt guy is that something that you've ever implemented because listen and i say this all the time on the podcast i'm like a broken record there is nothing more electric than when i'm watching a baseball game and i look and there's a pan to the bullpen and the guy before he starts warming up is just firing smelling salts like a legit crazy person let me say this though we do have a smelling salt guy in our bullpen uh and he it's not like the ones you can go to the training room and kind of crack and they get he has like the ones like the bodybuilder like you have to like order it online they're inside i can't get my i've I've tried i can't get my nose within like i don't know legitimately probably a (laughs) bottle it's insane uh he he's a guy that he definitely has that kind of like get into a a crazy mode type thing and it's it's fun to watch um but yeah i i've tried the smelling salt thing before i can't if i like get too excited and i like sniff real hard like say it's right before i go in my eyes start watering too bad and i can't like pick it so at this point it becomes like a mental block for me that i'm like if i accidentally sniff this too hard so like i said i i almost get in my own head enough right before i go in the game so as much as i want to be that guy i i, I might have to find you know, a, another solution, maybe a shock on a Red Bull or get along those lines. Like what, what goes into your pregame routine? Like what, what music are you listening to before the game? Like, are you lifting on game day or what are you doing? Man, it's just kind of like, especially when you get to this level is like draining as it is like the emotional investment. Obviously you're, you're feeling like you're pitching game seven, the world series every time you're out there. Um, so as far as the lifts go, it's probably not quite as much, probably more, uh, lax than it was in the minors. Um, music usually whatever the boys have on. Uh, you know, whoever's whoever's starting that day has got their playlist. You just kind of let them rip, and hopefully it's something good. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Red Bull every day. Uh, you know, I, I I do feel like that I, I do like to have some caffeine going into it. But like I said, it's just getting that call down there. I don't know if if you ever pitched or anything, but getting no. that call. Okay, so getting that call down to the bullpen is like you're you get you hear the phone ring and it's like the minute it's you know you hear it's your name it's like it's just like your heart immediately just goes nuts. So like I said, as much as I feel like I might add another implement, the the amount of adrenaline I get from that simple call is is about all you can ask for. 
but that, that that can also rise something too, right? I mean, so obviously once you get deeper and deeper into your career, do you and have you talked to other pitchers that have been there for a while? And do they not lose that sort of adrenaline from he just hearing your name? But what is something that you think that you could like obviously we're talking about small and salt or energy drink guy? Do you think at one point you're gonna have to maybe try to mimic that big word by the way, junior college guy here? Mimic that type of feeling. Of like, all right, adrenaline again, because this is this is the best. Like, you're obviously carving right now, right? So, obviously, you want to, like, you want to repeat that feeling you have before you start. If you lose that, what are you gonna do? Yeah, absolutely. No, this was actually uh, this was a conversation I actually had with Blue Jays for an office people because I was that guy in college where it was like, if you were to watch me close out an SEC game. I don't know like what my numbers, velocity, everything looked like matched up if you were to watch me throw in a midweek game, but it definitely wasn't as impressive. Uh, so that was one thing we we'd actually talked about when I got drafted is like, are you going to be able to amp yourself up for the minor leagues? Like, you know, if you're not closing out games. Um, and I was one thing that I, I mean, I've always been kind of aware of, <clears throat> but I know that uh, Lou Trevino, he's not quite as extreme as I am, but still he's, nervous guy needs kind of that pressure feeling and he uh, he says he still gets it he said and he's been up here for four years now um so i think i think that outside of like the actual competitive side of just wanting to perform you also have you know the financial implications if you don't do well up here you have a lot of other things riding on the fact of doing well so I almost think if you, and I would not advise people to do, but if you can almost make yourself more of a head case, if you need to feel that pressure, then that's just kind of, that's kind of how I've always worked is, uh, you know, just make it seem as big as I can in my head. It usually goes my way. Does that make you marvel at what guys like Max Scherzer are able to do? Like, and just in terms of, in terms of like, just being able to turn themselves into legit, like I said, like psychopaths on the mound, like, does that do you look at guys like that that have been in the league for so long still able to hype themselves up for every single appearance? Yeah, I mean, so some guy you take a guy like Scherzer, he's just, I mean, he has the switch. Like, I know that you know a, a lot of guys will try to fake it in baseball, where it's like, oh, like I'm gonna turn into this bulldog when I go throw or something. But then you realize it's like it's all an act. Like you know, Scherzer's a legit dog. Like he's a guy <laughs> like when he's pitched. I feel like throw hands with anybody, you know, doesn't even have to be pertaining to baseball. Like he's a different human being. You know, he's, he's a guy that I'm sure everybody wants on their team uh, with that personality when he's on the mound. Um, but yeah, it's cool. I mean, you, you see like guys like that coming up who like have to be like they who have to be kind of like the mean, you know, just get after you type of personality. And when you get to this, you know, this level of baseball, you're just, you let people do whatever they need to have success. And um, so yeah, you, you see it all over, but um yeah, it's 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 nuts seeing people flip that switch. And a couple more things here. So I got to bring this up. So the first time I actually saw you pitch in a big league game, actually it was live, but on TV, was you come in the game against the Angels and you have to go up against, and I'm going to clip this for all of our socials. So you go up against Shohei Otani, punch his ticket. You go up against Mike Trout. I believe you punch his ticket this at-bat. What's it like being on the mound, looking at the batter's box, you have Shohei Otani here, or Mike, I believe Shohei hits before Mike Trout, right? Is that, is that how it goes? Uh, no, no, no. So it was, uh, anyways, Taylor Ward, uh, Mike Trout, and Otani. Okay, yeah. so you have, to, you have to go up. So you're on the mound. You have to go up against Taylor Ward, and then you look on deck, the greatest hitter ever, Mike Trout, and then you look in the hole, and it's Shohei Otani. What is running through your mind as a pitcher? Because you got to experience this last week, seeing all three of those freaks of nature right in front of your face you have to go toe-to-toe with these dudes yeah so uh first off speaking of trout so i had um angels came to oakland last week and i come into the game trout comes in to pitch hit and i end up we run around first base um catcher i, I think you know throwing a wild pitch or something gets behind him first base opens up we walk trout so it was one of those things where it's like like I, you don't want to sound like the fanboy, but it's like you're facing the best hitter in the world. It's like you you want to see how you do against them. So it was like one of those things where you know I I at some point I was like in our division I was like I know I'm gonna face him at some point. So I was like I want to see, you know how it plays. And 
um, anyways, obviously come back to a, a few nights ago when I actually had the opportunity to face him. I mean, it's, if you're pitching at this level, it's like, obviously there's the fear of failure. That's like you're facing, you know, the, those one, two, three, cause Taylor Ward's really slept on right now, but dude's got the best numbers in baseball. And so it's like, when you have to face him first, got him to pop up uh, first pitch. So it's kind of like, all right, you're in there. Um, but then it's like coming into trout. And this is one of the things I, I told our bullpen guys was he's got uh, that super gremlin by Kodak black is his walkout. Yes, it's electric. It's electric. <laughs> like, especially the fans get into it, man. And so it's one of those things where it's like, you talk about feeling the pressure of the moment. Like that's the pressure of the moment right there. Like the, everything going up to that bat, like, they know that the middle of their lineup can get them back in this game. My thinking was it was a two-run ball game. Worst case, they hit a solo shot off me. We're, we're still good. Just don't walk them. Um, so, yeah, I was able to, you know, put Trout away. I, you know, I don't um, – I, I got ahead with a few fastballs. I'm sure he thought I was going off speed early just being a rookie, um, you know, probably just trying to trick him a little bit and then was able to – to put a slider outside um, late in the count. And then Shohei was one of those things where I really was only able to throw off speed for a strike to him and threw him a third one. Um, lucky he was able to get it in the zone. But like I said, as a rookie, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you as if it was like, oh, no, it was another day. I mean, that, that's a cool moment. I mean, it, it was one of those things where it's like you dream of getting to face guys like that regardless of how it goes. So this is the – this is the, actually, yeah, this is the – we'll end it off on this actually. So you got to play in Las Vegas last year which I've heard by minor leaguers, that's like a date, obviously, circled on their fucking calendar. You got a heart, you got heart, you got uh, Red Rock Casino and left field, right? Right after a game, you can fire the crafts table with the boys. What was it like playing there? Like living there every, or not, you weren't there uh, every single day, but what was it like living in Las Vegas playing minor league baseball there? Yeah, so I was, I come up from the Texas League and, let me speak on I, I first off had wanted to play in the Texas League. I know nobody dreams of doing that, but like being from Oklahoma, I live in Arkansas now, uh, had family in Texas. So it was like the Texas League was a league I always wanted to play in. Getting the opportunity to play there. Then again, you're in Midland, Texas. There's not a lot to do in Midland. I don't know if you've ever experienced Midland, but it's like oil town. And so it's kind of like you go from that to obviously the pinnacle of the minor leagues. Uh, I don't care what anybody say. It's the best place in the minors. I mean, to go, it's the crowds, the best, the cities, I mean, probably the best in America. Um, so it's yeah. like, you get the best of both worlds to be at. As far as everything that goes there, you stay in the red rock, right. When you get there uh, for your free nights. Um, so it's, I mean, every end of it is just amazing. Um, I will say though, it is one of the hardest ballparks to pitch in, in America. Why? Uh, that this goes back to the whole PCL. If you go look, if you got like to get into baseball stats, go look at international league stats compared to the PCL stats, especially the West division. Then you look at the home run numbers. Then you look at say Albuquerque. Uh, um, who else is in there now? Reno, uh, Vegas. I'm probably missing a couple others, but you go look at those power numbers there. You have the elevation there. The ball is, I mean, flies like crazy. The BP there is one of the funnest things you'll ever watch. You, you're having guys park balls 500 feet consistently. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> but as a pitcher, it's not its not a place you love pitching. I mean, you have a good outing there. It feels great because the crowd's super into it. But, man, it is hard to throw there. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's actually crazy. I, I, never, I never really looked into that and stuff like that. I always just assumed Colorado is just the highest elevation. That's why balls fly there. I never really thought about that for Vegas. But – I mean, so are you like, do you genuinely think that if there was a big league team playing in Las Vegas, it would be maybe one of the best cities to ha like field of like a big league team and stuff like that, just based off of like the amount of people that are just invested in that triple A team? Uh, absolutely. I mean, that, those games, the, the crowd, unless you get a day game in the summer, those were obviously not as filled out just because of how hot it is. But I mean, I would say consistently you get, um, I don't want to put a number. I, I would say they probably average around 8,000 fans a game. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually insane. And obviously just like the, the lights and I mean, they, they make it very Vegas. Um, so yeah, if you were to put a, a big league team there, you look at what the Raiders have done, the golden Knights. I mean, it's just like people that are going there. It's like, especially if they're from there, they don't want to go to the strip all the time. You know, want stuff to do. It's like, those are, good opportunities go watch a, a 
big league baseball team. So I would say obviously it would thrive there. Did you, so did you, did you, did you guys have any team outings there? Like the boys ever get like, like uh, obviously you got Mondays off and stuff like that. Did any of you guys like would go on the strip, have a little casino night with the fellas? Like, what was that like there? Was the team closer? So the strip is actually probably 15, 20 minutes. From yeah, it's far. It's far. So you just have the Red Rock there pretty much. So it was one of those things where you, you had to make a conscious effort to like, say like, Hey, we're going to the strip tonight. And I, I was only there probably a month a little over a month maybe and I went to the strip once like you know it's one of those things where it's like it sounds great but you're not making a lot of money and you know strip sounds enticing but it's like man that's like we go down there like that's this paycheck if we go down there like I you know kind of get to salvage this but went down there once just to experience it but you have the red rock there so it's like usually if boys wanted to like just go out and have a quick time they just go to the red rock just because it was close it's a pretty nice casino um you still get you know the big time vegas vibes in there so not not going to the strip as often as you probably think the red rock casino is one of the most underrated like i when i went to vegas i was staying with a couple guys down there uh, bryson and stuff like that and red rock was like obviously around the corner it's beautiful dude like and that that ballpark is so underrated like las vegas ballpark is beautiful man like you were pretty much got to experience what it was like being a big leaguer before you were a big leaguer, right? I mean, just playing there. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, and the crowd's pretty into it. Like, they're, you know, very receptive of how the game's going. And, you know, you throw a squirrel standing in it with a strikeout, you're going to get a roar. So it's one of those things, like I said, it's, it's very – you just picture like what a ballpark in Vegas would look like. It's just got those vibes. Like, the, like I said, everything going about it. If you look up, you know, I, I think the uh, – like the NFL skills challenge for the pro bowl this year was at the triple a ballpark. So it's like, you know, people probably didn't realize, but like, it, it's, it's a super nice place. So this is the last thing I want to talk about, because obviously, like I said, we're an off field podcast. We like to get funny clips, funny stories, stuff like that. Is there a minor league story that sticks out in your mind from your whole tenure in playing minor league baseball, maybe a bench clearing brawl close to bench clearing brawl. I mean, we've had stories of fans legit climbing light poles with machetes, getting snapchats on top of light foul poles. Do you have one that you like look back on? You're going to be telling your grandkids about like just a, a pure description of minor league baseball. If you don't, I'm putting you on the spot. We'll get it to you on the next episode that we have you on. But do you, is there one that sticks out to you? You know, I could probably, if you gave me some time, I could probably think of some funny, like, just epitome of minor league things. As far as bench clearing brawl, so we had one, I was in uh, Lansing in 2017. You were a part and, of that one? We've had that story on oh, here. So, yeah, that, I mean, there was one definitely memorable, memorable brawl. It was like, I'm coming in from the, I actually, no, I take that back. I pitched that day. So the reason it happened was this kid, I mean, was just going nuts on us. And he actually parked me earlier that day. So he takes our starter deep once or twice, took me deep, <laughs> took the guy who came in after me deep. And it was like the third or fourth one he hit. It was the last one he hit. It was like he basically didn't get out of the box. We had been kind of chirping all series with him. And, you know, I'm back down the bullpen, you know, probably pouting after a bad outing or whatever. And anyway, we see him like literally the ball hits like the outfield, like the berm in the outfield before he gets out of the box. Anyway, so we're like, all right, well, this ain't good. Like, <clears throat> so our catcher, uh, I think it was Michael De La Cruz at the point. Anyway, calls him out at home plate. I'm like, all right, they're going to bark, whatever. Wait, wait, well, then we see like a, a punch get thrown and I'm like, oh my God, like I'm coming off college where it's like, usually you have like the big screen, like everybody gets in each other's face, but it's like, okay, nothing's going to happen. Like you can get right there at the front. Like, don't worry about it. Like make yourself look tough. Well, this one I'm like, oh man, that's crazy. Like, you know, somebody, you know, they must be super pissed. And anyway, so we start running in from the bullpen and I remember I like get to the front just cause like I was pretty, I mean, I was pretty mad. I had a bad outing get to the front i'm like all right get in the middle and i see one of our players comes up over another player and socks their manager hits him like one of those like he has like a scully on socks the manager and kind of knocks him like you know off his <laughs> and i think that kind of that kind of like caught everybody off guard he did that but they had a guy come down for the bullpen who like had our our pitching coach like pinned against the fence 
And so, like, it <laughs> off. Like, it was like I had never been in a pro ball bench clearing brawl before. So I realized at that point, like, it's not like the, you know, college where, you know, you're just going to Those are make, men. Those are yeah. men. But it's like, no, these boys are swinging. And, you know, you better have a lookout or else you're, you're probably getting dropped by somebody. So that was – that, as far as brawls go, that was easily, I mean, the, the most memorable one I've had. Is that the brawl where I, I believe Kevin or some other Blue Jay, maybe it was Sneed, I don't know, someone, a, a guy threw a baseball at another guy. Is that the same one? He grabbed a baseball and like crow hopped and hit a guy in the back, or was that another story? So I think that was the same team. That wasn't against us, but I want to say it was the same team. It might have been the kid. I don't want to speak ill of him if it wasn't him, but. Uh, there was definitely, it was the same year, same league. And I want to say the same team kid comes in from the bullpen. There was like a scuffle at second base guy comes in from the bullpen, crow hops the ball. <laughs> thank God, it looked like he didn't have any idea where he was throwing it, but thank God it hit him in the gut. Cause I mean, if that domes him, he's, I mean, dead. I, no, he's dead. Yeah. But dead. I, I think it hit him in the gut. So I don't think it ended up being that big of a deal. But I think he got like suspended for the season or maybe he probably got released for that. That was, that, that was nuts. God, I just I, – I love minor league ball, brawls, and there's nothing that I respect more than people that will throw hands. Because I just hate – listen, I, I hate – I was a morale guy. I hate the guys that are, that are like, the hold-back guys. Like, if you're a hold-back guy in a brawl, there's a chance, like, I kind of hate you, like, out of – just because I want to see a fight. But that's where yeah. I stand with that. But what a way to end the episode, man. I mean, you, I got a favor for you. So you got to go up to Kevin today in the locker room and be like, I was on your boy. Because that's what – I was at his debut. So, I like, me and him are very – I literally just texted him. So – I was okay. at his debut. You got to be like, I was on the official official podcast with your boy Johnny because I don't think he knows you're on here yet. But um, Kevin Salt to the Earth, man. There's a funny clip. Obviously, it's like a viral thing from this podcast where I was at his debut and I swallowed a full lip of chew because I had a dip in because I was nervous for him. And it's just like a terrible visual of me on Roger's sports net, like clapping with my face all in like Neptune. So that's my guy. But I appreciate you coming on this, man. Like I said, after watching what you've done, I mean, obviously I knew who you were with the Blue Jays, but watching what you're doing right now in the big leagues is fucking incredible. I'm fired up for you and uh, keep doing your thing, man. We'll get you on sometime later in the future, but whenever you're, you're you play in Toronto, again, maybe grab a bite to eat or something like that. But we'll, uh, we'll figure something out. You're a legend, man. I appreciate you hopping on this. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you.